as we were coming out of Thanksgiving, uh, I feel like the Lord really directed me to this parable in the book of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Matthew chapter 25. I want to go there myself. And we're going to keep going, unpacking this parable of the ten, of the ten bridesmaids. So let me read this parable to you again. The address is up here on the screen. I'll read it to you, and then let's, let's get into what we're going to talk about today. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 1, says this. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. If you uh, aren't, aren't familiar with what an ancient Jewish wedding looks like, what we've read so far sounds nothing like what you're familiar with as a wedding. But we'll, we'll talk about it in just a moment. Verse 7, All the bridesmaids got out and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he called back to them, Believe me, I don't know you. And then Jesus says this, So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So we started unpacking this parable, and if you remember, my definition of a parable is it's a little story with a big meaning. A parable is a little story with a big meaning. And so whenever you look at a parable, one of the parables of Jesus, there's there's several things that you can do to help you get the most out of the parables of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus often taught in parables. Mm -hmm. well, why did he often teach in parables? Because he, he was looking to see who was hungry. Mm -hmm. Some people took like this, they would listen to this story and they'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, they were locked out and five wives, oh, oh okay. They don't really dig into it. There are those who are hungry, and that's why Jesus spoke in not rhymes or riddles or veiled things, but in an essence, in essence, that's exactly what they were because he was looking to see who's hungry, who wants to dig in, who wants to press through the crowd and, and know more. Those people are going to be rewarded. So as we press through the crowd to look for deeper understanding of this parable, there's a couple things that we can do. Number one, we can look for the characters. Who are the main characters in this, this parable? And what do they what do they represent? And that's going to help us give us a clue as to unlocking the meaning. So we talked about this last week. So this is a little bit of a review as we go through the five five main characters. So here's the first character uh, in this parable: the bridesmaids. Okay. So what do the bridesmaids represent? We talked about this uh, last week. The bridesmaids represent it's the church. It's collectively the church. The church triumphant, universal, it's that church. It is uh, a, a, the church of a city. All the churches collectively together of a city, that's the church. 
It also fits the context of uh, an individual church. We are a specific uh, community of believers that are rallied around uh, a common uh, set of ideals and purpose and value. That's what makes this particular tribe, tribe. And it also applies to individuals. So that's a big, broad definition of the church. All right, who's another main character? Another main character that we talked about last week was the oil. Well, how can the oil be a character? Well, the oil can be a character, even though the oil doesn't have a personality or personhood. It is a significant component to this parable, so we're calling the oil a character in this, in this uh, parable. What does the oil represent? The oil represents your relationship with the Lord. This is super important. The oil represents your relationship with the Lord. And if you remember what we talked about last week, is that according to this parable, your oil can only be acquired by you. I can't give you any oil. Tribe, this church can't give you any oil. Any podcast that you're, that you're tuning into, that you're listening to regularly, that can't be your oil. That's their oil. But you have to get your own oil. You have to develop and cultivate your own relationship with the Lord. Here's another one of the characters. Another one of the characters is the, the lamp. Well, what does the lamp represent? The lamp represents your life, the outflow of your life. So you, you can't have a good relationship with the Lord and have it come through in your life. Conversely, you can't have a bad relationship with the Lord. You can have no relationship with the Lord and not have that come out of your life as well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The lamp is just the holder of the flame. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, let's keep going. You have the bridesmaids, the oil, the lamp, and then you have the person that is shouting in verse... Six, it says, at midnight, they were roused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. What does the what does that character represent? The guy that comes through and shouts, the bridegroom is coming. That's the prophetic voice. That's the prophetic voice that comes through uh, as a nation. That's a prophetic voice that comes through um, in, in your particular church. Uh, oftentimes, that prophetic voice is, is me as your pastor. It's any voice, whether it comes from a podcast or your pastor, or as you're reading, it's any voice that directs the attention of your heart to specifically his second coming. Y'all know that he's coming back, right? Mm -hmm. He's coming back. And any voice, whether it's a podcast or your pastor, or as you read here, and the Holy Spirit just like leaps off the page and like rah, grabs your heart, any prophetic voice that directs the attention of your heart to his second coming, that's that shout. Okay, and then finally, our last character, the bridegroom. And come on, help me fill in the blank. Who does that represent? Jesus. Jesus. You're exactly right. So this week, what I want to do is I want to examine closely the very last verse of that parable where Jesus is talking. And he says this in verse 13. So you two must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return and that's actually the title of the message this morning if you're taking notes you can write that as the title of the message keep watch jesus says in verse 13 so you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return now why does he say that 
We need to put that verse on one side of a scale, and then we need to look what we're going to put on the other side of this scale, and what we're going to put on the other side of the scale is verse 5. So go back to verse 5. Let's look at verse 5 really quick. We're going to hold these two verses, not in tension with each other, but they balance each other. Matthew 25, look at verse 5. It says this, When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In some ways, remember what the, the, the ten virgins represent? They represent the church. In some ways, it's totally reasonable. For 2,000 years, the church has been waiting for the return of Jesus. I don't know about you, but if I have to wait longer than 30 seconds for my tea to heat up in the microwave, I'm like, eh, it's too long. I like what uh, Jim Gaffigan, he's talking about ordering fast food, and he's like, he talks about going out to these restaurants and being really impatient for food to arrive, and he goes, I'll have a cheeseburger. Where is it? I don't know about you, but I get really impatient uh, about things. If I have to wait in, in grocery lines, if I have to wait in lift lines, like what was the lift line wait at Thunder this weekend? Uh, like four minutes. Four minutes, that's nothing. We're so spoiled here in Jackson. <laughs> I just want to uh, encourage all of our out-of-state viewers who love to ski, go to Vail. <laughs> Stop. We are so lucky to have the kind of lift lines that we have here. I get so spoiled. 2,000 years is a long time to wait for anything. So on one hand, in the parable, when the Bible says that, that the, the bridegroom was delayed in coming, it's not like he was hung up like, oops, I forgot to tie my shoes. Where again, we're talking about uh, uh, Jesus. It's not like he's like, well, I want to come, but my tuxedo wasn't ready, and so I'm kind of delayed. That, that, that's not, that's, he wasn't held up by any kind. The date has been on the calendar, the Bible says, since the foundation of the world. Not only was he slain before the foundation of the world, but in God's omniscience, in his sovereignty, he already has that day picked, and it's on his calendar, and there's nothing that will delay it. But from our perspective, it seems as though the return of the Lord Jesus is being delayed. The church has been waiting for 2,000 years. And in our parable, it says that they, they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. This is another, this is another great message that I'm not going to preach right now, Brian. But to look <laughs> at all of the similarities between the ten bridesmaids. Yeah. There, there's, there's one, one little distinct difference. And that's what keeps, that's what keeps five of them from entering into the, to the marriage feast. But if you look at how many things they had in common, there's a lot. And, and you can study this on your own. But one of the things that they had in common is it says they all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. Well, I, I looked up that phrase in, in the Greek as I was studying this week. They all became drowsy and they all fell asleep. What does that, what does that mean in the Greek? What was the original intent of the specific grammar that was selected? Well, what is Jesus trying to convey here? When you look at that phrase in the Greek, they all fell asleep. Here's what it means. To grow lazy, to grow complacent, to take your eye off the ball, if you will. And then this was in the notes. It said this, a condition of insensibility to divine things involving conformity to the world. Mm, there we go. Yes. 
to fall asleep. It does mean to, to figuratively like go to bed to fall asleep. But it also means to grow lazy. And in the notes of the definition of that phrase, it says this, a condition of insensibility where you're, not, where you're no longer sensitive to divine things. And then it kind of gives you a clue as to why you've lost your sensitivity to divine things involving conformity to the world. Does that make sense, y'all? Mm-hmm. Okay. Power nugget. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Liz. <laughs> Power nugget. <laughs> hoping someone else would. Inside joke. <laughs> we got a lot of them. So it's really interesting. In this parable, it, it's, the parable is told that in a way it kind of makes sense. I don't know about you, but I like the nighttime for sleeping. And if I don't get my good 13 to 16 hours of sleep, (laughs) if I don't get a good night's sleep, like it messes with me. When it's time for bed, I like to go to bed. In this parable, it says that after, after after midnight, after like the darkest part, the deep part of the night, when people should be asleep, these ten bridesmaids were called to stay awake and, like Jesus said, to keep watch. But they fell asleep. I think that Jesus put that in there for us to, to scratch around and to dig out some more meaning. Why, why did the ten bridesmaids fall asleep? Yeah. Well, I want to I take you on just a, a, a quick <coughs> little detour to the book of Luke. And we're going we're gonna to uncover perhaps a little bit deeper meaning as to why these guys, the ten bridesmaids, why they fell asleep. So let's look at Luke. Go over to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to go there. Luke 22, what? Luke 22, and I'm going to start reading in verse 39. Now watch this. Super important. I promise you, you've never seen this before. Verse 39, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not be given into temptation. All right, let's stop, set the scene really quick. This is the night on which Jesus is betrayed. This is the last Passover. You with me? All right. He says this, then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not be given into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. That must have been really cool. He prayed more fervently. And as he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Now I promise you, you've never seen this before. Verse 45, at last he stood up again and returned to the disciples only to find them asleep. Stop! Mm -hmm. Only to find them asleep. Just like the ten bridesmaids. However, in Luke, we are given a clue as to maybe there's something deeper going on here. What was it that caused the disciples to feel drowsy and fall asleep? Luke gives us a hint. Now you can read past the comma. They find them, they found them, Jesus found them asleep, comma, exhausted from grief. Mm. Verse 46. 
Why are you sleeping? He asked. Get up and pray so that you'll not be given to temptation. In a way, Jesus is saying, keep watch. So, isn't this interesting? That they fell asleep, not from boredom, not from boredom, not from, uh, well, it's just, it's just time for bed. Not from the events that were unfolding. Their minds were spinning and buzzing with what Jesus had just told them in the upper room. He had told them numerous times, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men where he'll be crucified. Huh? He'll die. And then three days later, I'm going to rise again. Where's the organ? Baby, rising. <laughs> this is an elevation church. Oh, man. Where's my Stephen Furtick keyboard when I need it? But then three days later, he's going to rise again. I know. She kind of has to laugh at my jokes. But then Amanda laughs just to give Lissa some backup support. Everybody else is like, okay, keep going, preacher man. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> they fell asleep exhausted from grief. Now, check this out, guys. When you look at this word in the Greek, grief, this is when things begin to get really good. What does that word grief mean? It does mean what you think it means, grief, anguish, and the disciples had a lot to be in grief or in anguish about. Their, their ministry leader, their pastor, their Messiah, their Savior, who had done all of these miracles and even raised people from the dead and walked on water and turned water into wine and just mic dropped the Pharisees. He had done all these incredible things. And then he, has, and then he said, I'm about to be crucified. Of course they would have grief. But the definition is expanded more to just mean uh, anguish. It means sorrows, heaviness, the usual sorrow of men at the loss of their earthly possessions. But it can also mean annoyance and affliction. I don't know if you have experienced yet, but if you are on planet Earth in the United States today, I guarantee you, you have experienced the same kind of mental wearing down that the disciples have experienced. Today, we as the church, and, and for those of you that are in this room and watching the live stream and that listen to the podcast later, all of us are in danger of falling asleep from grief. Mm -hmm. well, what are you talking about, PB? Remember, look at the definition. It includes uh, sorrow of men at the loss of their earthly possessions, or how about some of their freedoms that we've enjoyed, annoyance and affliction. These things have been afflicting all of us. This virus has been afflicting all of us. This virus is something that all of us have dealt with in one way or another, whether it's been from a distance and, and you have to socially distance or wear your mask. Maybe you've gotten the Rona. It's, it's ripped through our family. Maybe you've experienced, like if you, there's this weird thing we were talking about. Maybe we should preach a message on this sometime. This, this whole weird stigma around when you get the Rona, like 
this weird social shaming that happens. Like you, you put it on yourself, other people, even your friends put it on you. Like it's some sort of scarlet letter mark. Like, oh, you, you've, you've got the, you've got COVID. Oh. And then how do you tell other people? Oh, do I tell my friends? And then I got to tell work. And what about my, my roommates? And what are they going to think? Man. So you don't tell anyone and then you get isolated. Yeah. In shame. Yeah. But yeah, it's a lose-lose situation right now. And, and maybe COVID's not the biggest thing on your radar, but there are constantly forces at work in our lives that we have to deal with, ev- that, that we have to deal with every single day that would try to bring us exhaustion, grief, and sorrow with the result being of us falling asleep. Does that make sense to anybody? Yes. Go back to Matthew. Let's look at verse 13. Again, we're going we're gonna to land the plane with this. Matthew 13. Jesus says this. So you two must keep watch. He doesn't, he doesn't shame us in verse 13. Now, there are some very real and significant consequences for falling asleep. Just look at the ten bridesmaids. The consequences of falling asleep is there will be loss in your life. Well, how do we prevent loss? Keep watch. Keep your oil filled with lamp. Huh? Hold on. Just a minute. There's loss. But look at the words. In a way, I see tenderness in verse 13 when Jesus says, So you too must keep watch. Don't fall victim to the grief and the sorrow that could cause you to fall asleep, to disengage. He's telling us, he's exhorting us, keep watch. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. How do you keep watch? Well, let me just share with you just really quickly. Three things that I think that you can do that will help you to keep watch. Three ways to keep watch. Number one, read Matthew chapter 24. And I want you to do a word count in Matthew chapter 24 and look for all of the notes. K-N-O-W, not N-O-S-E. Nose or N-O apostrophe S. Not those nose, the K-N-O-Ws. Because here's what a lot of people think. Well, the return of Jesus is so far away. I don't know if you've ever heard this preached in the church that you're coming from, or, or if this is new to you or something that you haven't thought of before, but I'm telling you, he's coming back. He's told us again and again and again, and he's coming back. Okay, I can, I can digest that. Yep, yep, that's kind of part of uh, what it means to be a Christian. We understand that Jesus came, that he lived a sinless life. He died a criminal's death. Because he was sinless, he resurrected on the third day, and he went to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father. But I think the church has lost the the message of, and he's coming back. Mm -hmm. And maybe the, the church culture that you've come from has even gone that far. But there's this tendency to think, because it's been 2,000 years, it's easy for us to like think, well, he's been delayed, and for us to, to fall asleep when it comes to thinking about his imminent second coming return. But when you, and, and the verse says, even in 
chapter 25 or 15. So you don't know the day or the hour of my return. Well, we can't really know, so why worry about it? Why think about it? I guess I'll, I'll, I'll know when it happens. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of people's mentality. But three ways to keep watch. Count the no's in Matthew chapter 24 because we might not know the calendar date, the day or the hour or the moment. And the Bible is really clear. We can't know. But we certainly can know the season. Look at Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Now learn to listen from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know, well, there's one of them, that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things, you can know, there's another one, his return is very near, right at the door. So Jesus tells us, you can know the season. Well, what are some of those signs? After Christmas, we're going we're gonna to jump into um, uh, a, a walk through Scripture, the Old Testament and the New, looking at what are some of the signposts that have been clearly given to us in Scripture that we can overlay on world events around us so that we can know. Here's a quick punchline summary of the whole series. If these are not the beginning of birth pains, these are 100% for sure the Braxton Hicks contractions that precede real contractions, which starts labor. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep watch? How do you avoid being drowsy? Number one, look for the no's. Like, you can know is what Jesus is saying. All right, let's go to number two. Number two, so not only count the no's, but number two, understand what Matthew chapter 24 Verse 32 and 34 is saying, we just read, now let me read verse 34 because we just read it. I tell you the truth, the generation, this generation will not pass away from the scene until all these things take place. You've probably read that verse your whole life and thought one of two things. You've either thought, oh, that's okay for, for something else. Or maybe you've thought or have been taught that the generation that Jesus was speaking of was the generation that he was looking at. And from history, we know that the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD. And so there's totally some evidence to suggest that what Jesus was talking about happened in 70 AD. And maybe for 2000 years, we've kind of been in this kind of quasi tribulation. But when I got a hold of this, it curled my Socks? <laughs> Did it? Blew my toes back? I don't know. Eat my no. rubber, dusty lips. <laughs> Take it, Russ. <laughs> See, she laughs, Amanda backs her up, and then I just keep preaching. The rest of y'all looking at me behind your mask. I don't even know. Just smile at me underneath your mask. Understand Matthew chapter 24, verse 32 and 34. Here's what Jesus is saying. The generation that sees these things, well, but, 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 what are these things? Well, you got to go back and read the first part of Matthew chapter 24. The birth pains, the travail, the persecution. The generation that begins to see these things is the generation that will see the fulfillment of all of these things. Mm -hmm. Concluding with the climax of the second return of Jesus. Mm -hmm. so, so what he's not saying is, 
When you begin to see these things, and we're going to talk about what are these things. We're going to talk about them after Christmas. It's not like, oh, wow, this, these are some of the things. Uh-oh, okay, maybe 100 years from now, maybe 300 years from now. Jesus says the generation that sees these things, you better look up what these things are. He says is the generation that will see all of these things unfold. Are we living in the generation of the Lord's return? I sure as shoot hope so. <laughs> Number three, ask for an encounter with Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. So count, understand, and then here's the third thing. Ask. Count, understand, and ask. Ask for an encounter with Revelation chapter 3, verse 3 and 11. Did, do I have that verse up there? Okay, let me read it to you. Write the address down and come back to it. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3. These are the words that are in the red of my Bible. So it means that Jesus is speaking. He says, go back to what you heard and believe at first. Hold firmly to it. Repent and turn to me again. Jacob, you know about that. Like, how cool is that? That that personal renaissance that you were going through in your heart and, and repenting, coming back to the Lord. And, woo! Then he says this. If you don't wake up, oh, that sounds familiar. If you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly, as unexpected as a thief. Isn't it interesting that Jesus describes himself as a thief in that verse? He's tricky like that, that Jesus. The idea being that when we think it's a long time from now, when we think uh, it's been 2,000 years, it's probably, it could be 2,000 more. When you think, I haven't seen him show up in my life, whether, whether it's your finances or your health or relationships, something, there's all things that are going on in our life and in our heart that feels as though his response or his arrival at that point of uh, what my friend Corbin McGuire said, our pain point, that point uh, in our life where we need to encounter him uh, critically and it hasn't happened yet. It's so easy. It's so easy to become drowsy. It's so easy to fall asleep. But Jesus warns us, if you don't wake up, I'll come to you suddenly, unexpected as a thief, and you'll be unprepared. That's why he tells us in Matthew chapter 25, keep watch, keep watch, keep watch. Ask for an encounter with Revelation. Oh, then verse 11. Oh, he says it again. Wow. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. When a person gets saved, are they always saved? You've heard this, once saved, always saved. If you if your victor's crown is taken away, are you still saved? Ah, I'm just messing with you. We ain't going to get into that right now. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. So we can read those words, but that's not what I'm talking about here. An encounter with that. Have you had an encounter 
with the, the imminent and soon in coming Jesus? Have you had an encounter with that truth? Like, I feel like that would reorient every single aspect of our life. If we lived in such a way that we knew, maybe not when he was coming back, but the, but the fact that it became a, a present forefront reality in our life that he was coming back. Now, in just a moment, I, I want to show you, I want to show you uh, a video, and then we'll, we'll end with this. And I got to give a bunch of disclaimers about this video. Um, I, I, I ripped it off of TikTok, and you know, TikTok and TikTok's theology, I mean, you know, it's on point. <laughs> Yeah. On fleek. <laughs> oh, they don't say anything. Okay, all right, I'm gonna let you. Just keep your mask on. <laughs> Should I put mine on? Um, uh, and this is a this is a, this this young girl um, has 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 had an encounter with the imminent second arrival of Jesus. I think it's uh, it comes to her in the form of a dream. Now. This, I'm not showing you this video to um, uh, to say that we at Tribe subscribe to the same theology that, that she talks about in this video. But what I want you to take away, here's the thing that I want you to take away from this video, is in this dream, I believe with all of my heart that she had a very real encounter with this truth that Jesus is coming back in, in verse 11. I am coming soon. And it's really powerful. Um, so let's just roll it. It's really short. Just roll this video. She's all emotional. And then we'll pray and continue on with the service. I had this dream too much. Me and my family were sitting on the front row of this church I used to go to. And we were sitting there. And halfway through the service of my pastor preaching, the trumpet of God started coming on. <laughs> the rapture's happening. Guys, God's coming back quicker than you can ever imagine. God is coming so fast. And he's been showing me in these dreams. I need to get my life together. I need to start living for him again. Or he's going to be here. God's coming. And everything's to be powerful emotion from that little girl. When John, who wrote the book of Revelation, when he met the resurrected, ascended Jesus, it says that he fell down as though dead, and, and, and he was one of Jesus' closest friends. We think we know him, but we, when we encounter him, Everything changes. Count, understand, ask. That's how we keep watch. I have more in my notes, but I'm just going to stop there. Let's practice real quick. Let's just ask him real quick. Lord, 
would impart to me. Was that just her, Did was that just like a pizza dream? It could have been. But we know that whenever we encounter you, everything changes. It rouses us from our drowsiness so that we can keep watch. just a moment and in the stillness of your heart allow the Lord to just minister to you maybe there's some things that have been threatening your ability to stay awake and stay alert you know participate in service if if there's a prayer that you would like to type into the comments um, go for it if there's something welling up inside of you uh, go for it and we'll we'll read those uh, in just a moment here so we'll give you some time to for the delay and then to think and then to type and then we'll read some of those if they come through but if there's uh, anybody else that has uh, a, a prayer about this message, um, we, we still have time for a few more, so let it rip. You don't have to be a good prayer out louder.
of big fog in our lives that tells us that you are not here to give us full life, um, here to give us urgency and your coming and your caring, yeah. even in these moments, Lord. Show us how to be fully invested in you and how to um, believe that and lean into that for ourselves and for the people around us, Lord. Let us show them the vibrancy and the fullness of your love in everything we do. Yes. I think so many people try to approach a relationship with you, Lord, by just their spirit or maybe even just their 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 head knowledge Lord I ask that you would touch our emotions we're not led by our emotions but we're not going to be divorced from them either touch our emotions Lord with your vibrancy So cool to have our tribe fam that's watching online be able to participate. 